Are you nice and chilly? I'm doing okay. I've got I've got my blankie, my little th- podcast blankie. I think uh, as we enter the winter months, we're just gonna have to keep bringing more and more uh, extra layers <laughs> down into the basement. That's how we know that we are professionals through Arctic weather of the Pacific Northwest winters. We are here with our with our little podcast, bringing warmth. <laughs> Through the airwaves. Warmth to your hearts, everyone. And uh, speaking of... Hello, everyone. I'm Jason. I'm Laura. And welcome to Come Back a Star, a movie award family scandal. It's a scandal. It's a scandal. It's uh, sensational. It's unforgettable human drama. We are watching every Best Picture winner and nominee from 1927 onwards, and this is episode number 022. East Lynn about I was just about to say the crown, but no, (laughs) (laughs) it is probably because when we were watching, I kept saying, oh, man, this is so crazy because I just finished uh, the crown. And this is reminding me so much of the crown season four. It. uh, So before, if you're a fan of the crown and I know there's a lot of them out there, (laughs) Uh, if you like that BRF family drama, well, don't even uh, change the dial. Uh, cause now we have East Lynn. Now we have East Lynn. They're not royal, but they're rich, white, and in in England. So, yeah, what's the difference? There is none. There's probably a lot of inbreeding that we don't hear about in the movie too. So, <laughs> all right. Uh, so East Lynn is a movie based off of a um of a novel of the same name, same character names, but fairly different plot yeah apparently and apparently in this time period i guess it was released in 1861 i think from here till about the 30s it was just one of those stories that was just portrayed again and again like on stage and this is not the only movie version there have been several i guess from oh yeah i think i have a i think i have a list of them hold on a second and i bet they're all different Yeah, so I'm assuming that some of them hewed closer to the uh, book than than others. But here, let's see. I have a whole list of years I remember sending you. Um, we are looking at movie or TV versions from 1902, 1903, 1908, 1910, 1912, 1915, 1916, 1921, 1925, a play wasn't doing well that they would just uh, like paper over the sign with don't worry East Lynn coming next week. Cause it was such like a guaranteed hit <laughs> that uh, it would bring audiences in, but I don't think I'd ever really heard of it until, uh, yeah, I, I to haven't watch either. It. It's, it's just one of those of... phenomena that was very much of its time and yeah. just didn't really last the test. We have so many Victorian novels that, you know, have survived and get still get taught in schools and everything like that. And this is not one of them. No, probably because you know, it's it's very sensational and scandalous. And silly. And silly. Very silly. So, of course, we loved it. But, of course, the big tragedy of this version is that we have no idea how this movie ends because the last 12 minutes are freaking lost. Yeah. And I don't know if that's just a matter of 
um, the print that has been released into the universe by no discernible company. That was the other thing, too. I couldn't find anywhere where this VHS version that we found on YouTube originated from. I yeah, I don't know. There There is one copy of the film that exists at UCLA. And I, I don't know how someone would have snuck in there and, created, and like I created a, a half print of uh, if so that they're living the life that I fantasize about, like sneaking into UCLA and, and copying down old movies, uh, copying down old movies. That's that's uh that's crime done right. You know, <laughs> it's for the good of the public. It is. It is. All right, uh, so you want to talk about the book a little bit? Yeah, I wanted to cover the book just a little bit before we get going because it does draw kind of the um, the sensationalism actually like on a grander scale and also just how silly it was. Yeah. And the, I think it's just interesting the different changes that they made to it. Uh, so let's let's start off with the book plot summary. Don't worry, it's not going to be half an hour long. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Lady Isabel Carlyle. A beautiful and refined young woman leaves her husband, uh, Carlisle, also same name, okay, thanks Wikipedia, and her infant children to elope with an aristocratic suitor, Francis Levinson, after wrongfully suspecting and becoming jealous of her husband's friendship with a woman named Barbara Hare. However, once aboard with Levinson, aboard, I'm assuming, a train or boat, uh, she realizes that he has no intention of marrying her despite her having borne their illegitimate child. Jeez. He deserts her. Lady Isabel is disfigured in a train accident, and the child is killed. Okay, fun. This is like fun reading. Following this, Isabel is able to take the position of governess in the household of her former husband and his new wife, allowing her to be close to her children, but which also becomes a source of great misery. The pressure of keeping up a facade... Keep in mind, this is this is like the ridiculous plot point that I kept reading about in the book. Apparently, she sneaks in to become the governess and nobody recognizes her because she's been disfigured by the train accident. OK, I mean, OK. But the pressure of keeping up a facade and constantly being reminded of that her husband has moved on and eventually phys- moved on eventually physically weakens her. On her deathbed, she tells all to Carlisle who forgives her. Wow. Okay. I'm glad they didn't film that version because that version is even more depressing than what we have on film. And what we have on film is still pretty depressing. It's uh, it's much more anti-woman, too. Yeah. Uh, she went off, had an affair, and did all these horrible things, and then she gets her comeuppance by being miserable by not being able to be... With her kids. Real mommy. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the movie has a lot more respect for Isabel's character and yeah. uh, is really way more on her side. So yeah, go 1931. Absolutely. Uh, so from there, should we jump right into the summary of the movie, which is quite different plot wise from that? Yeah, not, not entirely different. They still have the same character I mean, names and same character some names, of the same dynamics. A little bit. But again, it is far more on Isabel's side, it sounds like. Right. So Frank Lloyd's East Lynn, which, as we know, was based pretty loosely on Ellen Wood's uh, sensational 1861 novel, begins with a very posh 19th century wedding. Beautiful and high-spirited Lady Isabella, played by Anne Harding, is marrying ambitious landowner Robert Carlyle, played by a silent idol Conrad Nagel, as in Bagel, 
I uh, had been pronouncing it with the soft right. G in previous episodes. But how many things have you seen him in so far? Uh, he was in Hollywood Review and he was in um, Divorcee. Divorcee and did not really make a strong impression in Divorcee. all three in yeah. I, any of the movies, honestly. Oh, yeah. No, I made a good impression on Hollywood Review. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. But so he's, uh, you know. Pretty average. At the reception, we learned that Isabel is a popular Belle, and her former beau, Captain William Levison, played by Clive Brooke, is heartbroken. She's married to another man. We also learned her father has doubts about her new husband's character, not knowing much about him. So from there, Isabel is whisked away to her new home in East Lynn. Hooray! Yay! The title, everyone! I didn't think about it at the time, but this is another comparison between, like, the city life versus country life. And I think that there is a little bit more balance in this movie than we'd seen in other movies where in the earlier movies, especially in the silent era, we were looking at movies where the city kind of represented decadence Mm -hmm. and, and moral decay and the countryside represented this like good wholesomeness. Yes. And here you kind of get a little bit of that, but not why because the country is also bad yeah so honestly i think it falls way more on the side of the city i mean the city is kind of portrayed as just like harmless fun whereas the country is full of a lot of judgmental jerks yeah it sure is who are actively afraid of fun um and uh this is kind of uh embodied by uh Carlisle's Carlisle's cold Mrs. Danvers-ish sister Cornelia, played by Cecilia Loftus, who is kind of the de facto housekeeper, uh, a la Mrs. Danvers, who just has flat out decided that she will not like Isabel. Yeah. Uh, Because Isabel is a city slicker, a social butterfly, blah, 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 blah. And uh, also, along with meeting this, you know, charming sister-in-law, uh, Isabel meets uh, neighbors Sir Richard Hare and his beautiful daughter Barbara. Barbara being in the book, the woman that she suspects is having an affair with her husband. Right. And uh, that kind of is a thread that they keep because while helping Isabel settle into her room along with uh, kindly housemaid Joyce, Cornelia implies that Barbara would have made a much better match for her brother than Isabella. Cornelia speaks in private with her brother, who chides her for disapproving of Isabel without knowing her and refusing to go to the wedding. Cornelia replies that Isabel is nothing more than a social butterfly, but that she'll try to like her. Spoiler alert, she does not even try. No, she's she's bad. Yeah, she is just a really crummy, unlikable character. I mean, we're not really giving any kind of motivations for her other than she's a big old stinker. Yeah, you all, I mean... They did a decent enough job to to make me really dislike her. So yeah, I mean, it's effective at least. Yeah, and just, I think I think Loftus does a really good job. She doesn't oversell it or anything. She's just cold and aloof and mean. Yeah, in, in like a realistic way, not like an over the top kind of way, which I respect. And there's a nurse ratchet yes. air about her. Yes, of like you know, on the surface. You can't pinpoint exactly what she's doing. That's so bitchy, but <laughs> it's clearly is. It, it's it's good. That's very good comparison. Later that evening, 
Robert, probably under the influence of his sister, takes a sharper, more commanding tone with his wife, telling her that he is her lord and master and that she must obey him. And she meekly agrees. And this was this is a creepy scene, like a really creepy scene yeah. unsettling because I didn't know, like, are we supposed to th- see that he's like kind of just joking with her? That's what I thought at first. But then it's like. Maybe that's what she thinks. And so that's why she kind of plays along in that kind of make yes, sir, kind of thing. But then it's like the rest of the story plays out that it's not a joke. So, yeah, he he rapidly becomes a fairly odious character as well. Yeah. Yeah. We're really left wondering, like, why he agreed, why he wanted to marry her so much. Oh, oh, actually, I think we do kind of get a hint as to why in the beginning she reminds him of his mom. Oh, yeah, that's right. I told they kind of dropped that thread. They did. It's uh, that would uh, it probably would take a deeper psycho melodrama to kind of go into that. But when she's like coming down the stairs, he's like, you look just like my mother did when she used to come down the stairs, which is not which is not a great line. No, to develop to deliver to your uh, to your, <laughs> your new bride. It, it reminds me of uh, in like the sequel to uh, Naked Gun. I love the Naked Gun movies where uh, he sees Priscilla Presley's character again and says, like she's gorgeous, sexy, and brilliant. And I knew, yes, she reminds me of my mother. Except that was played for laughs. This was supposed to be romantic. And I'm like, yeah. oh my goodness. Kind of, kind of gross. Very, very a little gross. Uh, so after that, we're informed by a title card that three years have passed. Isabel has given birth to a son named William that she adores but otherwise finds her life hampered by Cornelia and Robert's coldness and their demand that she cease being so outwardly vivacious and instead become more dignified. Ugh. And, oh gosh, this is probably best demonstrated when you see them in, it's Cornelia and a group of her friends with the uh, local pastor, and they're playing some sort of party. Yeah, kind of bizarre or, or thing. Or get together, and... uh. Isabel dares walk in and have an idea for this party. Yeah, about, maybe like, make it more fun for like the young folks, like games or something. Yeah, and they're like, no, no, no. It's always been so dignified. And this dignity. Is like, always dig- dignity. Dignified is not a word that I want to have applied to my party. Well, that's why you're a little gauche, Jason. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> it's like, wow. Like y- y- when you leave a party, you want your uh you want your guests to say, like, gosh, that was that was fun, not like that was dignified. Yeah, but uh, that's that's them. That is them. And I think what what's fun about this is that we really kind of get to see Isabel as a character in this scene, and she really becomes likable. You know, she's she she's the only one who brings up maybe we should have fun at this party, and then we see her play with her kid, and it's really yes. adorable. She they they play like big bear and little bear, and she like gets herself all in this big like furry blanket and starts growling like a bear. And and it like like pouncing at her son, and it's really cute. Yeah, and that really reminds you of the crown. It does. It really does. It's crazy because I mean, I really do like the crown. I think they do it about as well as you can for a big soap opera about these uh, royal leeches of just like, hey, here's this uh, like young woman bringing in a breath of fresh air into this stale institution and actually enjoys playing with her kids better stamp out that light real quick yeah yeah but it it really in this movie it really brings life and a good contrast between the two characters and it really puts you on isabel's side yeah because she's just it's like she's just having fun with her kid 
Mm-hmm. And it's like, so of course we're going to be on her side. And Anne Harding uh, does a really good job, I think. You know, at first, everybody seemed a little too mannered for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I feel like in this scene, she really kind of becomes more of a person. Right, right, yeah, right. And gets us invested. All right. And Captain Levison, the um, in the book, who she runs away with, but in this, Levison just kind of arrives. He comes to visit and convinces Robert, Isabel's husband, to let him escort Isabel and Cornelia to London for a dance while Robert is preoccupied with work. Cornelia fakes a headache on the day of on the day of the dance and tells Isabel that they cannot they cannot go. Yeah. Frustrated, Isabel sneaks off without a chaperone and has a wonderful time flirting and hanging out with Levison. Yeah, it's like why does a married woman need a dang chaperone? I mean, I guess it would look bad to society to have a married woman and an unmarried guy, I guess, go off to a dance together. But it's like, again, meaningless rules. Yeah, I don't I don't know the rules of chaperoning, um, but I was struck by that, too. It's like, well, she's. She's a mother at this point. Yeah, I, I didn't think that that was really such a big deal. But apparently society does. But that's not the big thing that gets her in trouble. So please right. continue. When Levison escorts her back to East Lynn, he confesses his love and kisses her. Dazed, uh, Isabel hurries off to her bedroom. He follows her and is spotted by Cornelia. Who you just know is thrilled. To oh, have like, yes. Yes, finally. Oh, yeah. She even does like a little hand pump as, <laughs> as she sees it happen from, from her door. I thought she had a headache, but instead she's just lurking. Yeah, her head aches from the lack of drama. And now she's got the drama, so now she's feeling better. (laughs) When Robert returns the next day, Levison is gone, but Cornelia tells him what she saw. They both confront Isabel, who insists that while Levison did confess his love and enter her bedroom, she turned him away. When they don't believe her, she finally snaps and tells them that she's had it with their cruelty and... She plans on leaving. I love that scene. I feel like it's such a good confrontation. Like, it's just like a woman who's just absolutely had it and reads up the riot act. It's really cathartic and satisfying for about two seconds until she has to face the consequences. Yeah, she's you've kind of seen her be like kind of a punching bag up to this yeah. point and trying she, her best to be a good wife, like and right suit him. But now it's just like I've had it. Yeah. Not unlike the crown not unlike the crown it's crazy which i haven't even seen i just happen to know the story yeah of. everybody knows the story and as much as uh, uh the royal family kind of has tried to rehabilitate the uh image of certain parties in that scenario we all know what happened and who was the injured party <laughs> right uh so isabel tries to take william but robert says that he will stay and that she will never see will uh william again she pounds pitifully on the door of the nursery, but it's hopeless. She flees to Vienna, meeting Levison on the boat by surprise, who insists on being her friend after causing her so much heartache. And this kind of the whole pounding on the nursery door and not being allowed to meet her son also reminds me a lot of like Anna Karenina and Anna yeah. being forced to leave her son behind, who she loves very dearly. And how it all kind of, yeah, goes downhill for her because of that. Yeah. Oh, and the kid is is perfectly cherubic as well oh my gosh and big bouncy curls just real 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 cute real real yeah. cute gets you right in the ovaries <laughs> in vienna the two uh managed to have the time of their lives uh actually falling in love with each other however 
uh, William is never far from Isabel's mind and just torturing her and keeping her from truly enjoying her happiness. And meanwhile, Levison's overspending loses him his position as diplomat, and the two are forced to move to Paris in smaller, more bohemian digs. Levison grows more bitter at their circumstances and blames Isabel's extravagant tastes for their predicament. So he pretty quickly, I think, once they're in these dire straits, I had high hopes for him, honestly, Mm because he seems to genuinely love her, genuinely enjoy the things that she enjoys and really stick it up for her. But once he loses his prestige, he's not that different from the other men who've hurt her. Yeah, I think, well, even after that, I did get the feeling that he was at least a little bit more genuine. He's obviously human and flawed and it was his own mistake, too. I mean, him going after her because of like, oh, her extravagant tastes have left them in the in in the lurch here. Uh, it it wasn't his choice to I think he had like some shady dealings as a diplomat. Right. That got him some extra money that allowed them to have this extravagant lifestyle. But she never asked him to like lavish her with riches. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. It, it, that was that was him. And she assures him when he like first tells her, like, look, I've lost everything. She's like, I'm with you till the end. So, mm-hmm. but, you know, I mean, because she's human, too. She doesn't really enjoy their circumstances either. So they basically snap at each other a lot, which is, you know, depressing. It is still not as bad, I think, as her relationship with Robert. Oh, that's I mean, I would say that's true. But at least, you know, she had William then. And, you know, now she doesn't have William. So I that's think true. It, that adds to the tension, obviously. Um. Yep. So on the eve of Paris's war with Prussia, Isabel has her father over and begs him to convince Robert to let her see William again. Her father, who actually is a pretty decent bloke, I have to say. Yeah, he's like the one decent man. I mean, he called it from the he called it from the start at the wedding that Robert was probably no good. Yeah. And he sticks with his daughter. Yeah, you get the sense that he cares about his daughter. Yeah, it's it's refreshing. And yeah, like in just in a very honest way that you don't always get in these movies. No. So uh, but, you know, he promises he will do what he can and leaves. But as the war stretches on, uh, Isabel does what she can nursing and surviving on rations. One night, Prussia begins its bombardment on Paris. And in a panic, Isabel flees into the streets, determined to break through the lines and reunite with William in England. Levison, to his credit, kind of snaps out of his, like, bitterness and follows her in an attempt to make her see reason. Both are crushed by debris from an explosion. Levison, sadly, is killed. Isabel survives, uh, but the doctor informs her that they weren't able to heal her optic nerves and that soon she will go blind. Desperate to see her son one last time, she goes to England. So, so we get the kind of the train disfigurement yeah, thing yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So instead of a train, it's a... It's a bomb from. Yeah, it's like a storefront collapse. From the Franco-Prussian War. From the Franco-Prussian War, yeah. So, <laughs> which I that's interesting that they decided to inject the Franco-Prussian War yeah, into this because by the time the book was written, I think that was like ten years before the Franco-Prussian War started. So I think it's like they must have set the book, set the movie later than in the book, but still. Right, and I wonder old. if they just wanted to add that little, that little connection of familiarity with world war one maybe oh that's a good point i didn't think of that but yeah that's uh yeah that that tension was familiar and it's not they but they pushed it out to the franco-prussian war just to have it be a little bit more of a period piece exactly yeah yeah uh, that's a good point i haven't thought of that but i mean and also it's effective 
let's see, let's cover all the things that that haven't lined up <laughs> at, at all. So she leaves Levison, uh, kind of of her of her own record, but not because she has like fallen for him. Mm-mm. It's kind of like I'm I'm ruined because people suspect that we did something. Yes. And he happens to say like, well, I love you. Let me take care of you kind of deal. And she's going like, on. well, I got no one else. And uh, the relationship between Barbara and uh, Robert, as we're about to get into, doesn't start up until Isabel is gone. Yes. It's uh, and let's see, we have the train turn into a shell. Yeah. Into a whole war. Yeah. <laughs> and she doesn't come back. At least as far as we know, because the movie gets cut off, she doesn't come back as a governess. No. The secret governess with a double identity. No, she comes back obscured in veils and all sorts of yeah. melodramatic Victorian nonsense that I love. So it's uh, it's significantly different. It Let's is pretty different. That. Yeah. Um, back at East Lynn, Robert has married Barbara and has refused a request of Isabel's father to let um, Isabel see William again because he's a jerk. He's a jerk. And, you know, to Barbara's credit. Uh, she does try to appeal to him for uh, Isabel saying, hey, uh, her dad wrote me a letter uh, asking me to, like, reach out to you one more time. And, of course, he acts like a jerk. Like, oh, he had no right to you know, write to you about this, blah, blah, blah. And I think what, you know, sadly makes Barbara probably better suited for a jerk like Robert is that she immediately goes, oh, yes, dear, we shall never speak of it again. And it's, it's sad for Barbara, I think, that uh, she's OK with this kind of life. Uh, and I think it, yeah, you know, we don't get a sense of who she is for the entire movie. No, I mean, she's at, yeah. at this very ending part. We get the sense that she's probably a fairly decent person. Yeah. But um, and which is kind of what we get when we see her once or twice before. But right. Like she's not she's not like flirting with him or anything while he's married to Isabel that we see or anything. Uh, she yeah she seems like just like a decent gal who's apparently okay with being in the background and acquiescing to her husband's wishes. I mean, so there we go, and uh, I guess that's where we are with Barbara. That's all we get from her. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much all we get. Uh, William has fallen ill on the night of his mother's arrival when she arrives in in veils and sneaks up like ninja. Yep. Um. And uh, we haven't really covered Joyce too much. Yeah, Joyce is great. We all Joyce. Joyce is the housekeeper that really befriended um, befriended Isabel when she was there. And she's still working there and she's still taking care of William. Giving him an extra kiss each night from his mother. It's true. And she can't even say that it's from his mother. Yeah, it's really sad. So they're they're still in contact via letter. And it is Joyce who uh, lets Isabel in and leads her upstairs without the Carlisles knowing as far as we know, because mm-hmm. we haven't seen the rest of the movie. Alas, just as the mother leans over her child as he sleeps in his crib, the movie st- stops. No. And the last 12 minutes of the movie are lost. And we've tried our hardest to find out how this version ends. And I figured when we looked up the book, like, OK, the book will tell us how it ends. But the events are so different. Like, it's obvious she she was not disfigured and is not going to be his governess. And she's so does she die? I mean, there's only 12 minutes left. Like, yeah, so it's it's a. It's complete speculation for us at this point. There is a copy of the script that we saw on on eBay for three hundred dollars. 
So if you guys really, really want to know what happened, you could always buy that for us. Yeah, buy it and read it and then let us know, because I am interested in figuring out what happens. So if anyone has maybe heard a spoiler that we have it about it or has managed to read the script seriously, please let us know, because I was getting pretty invested. I mean, yeah, which is a testament to the movie, I think. Yeah. I, was, I was not expecting to. When it started. Oof. Yeah. I was like, oh, gosh, what what is this? It was so mannered and stilted in the very beginning. You're just like, oh, boy, this is almost like a parody of like a, a Victorian setting movie like right. melodrama. But I think Anne Harding in particular really kind of brings a human warmth to it that really gets you on her side. Yeah, it was an effective enough melodrama to get me invested in in the ending. Yeah. And I cared about the characters enough to just want to know how it wraps up. I'm sure it's not going to be too happy. Again, only 12 minutes are left. Like either that kid or the woman's going to die. So, yeah, exactly. Uh, when we or know- she becomes her governess or she does. I mean, she's and definitely happy. She's F definitely about to go blind. So I don't know how they'd accommodate her as a governess, but uh yeah so that's uh the that's majority of slid yeah the majority of it <laughs> so uh overall thoughts um again like we just said i liked it a lot more mm-hmm. than i was expecting to um i'm not usually a fan of melodramas but this one i think um to to quote some author that was writing about the novel actually <laughs> I was looking this up. Um, Let's see. What's his name? George Gissing uh, wrote in his diary while staying in Rome in 19 or 1898 about the book. Not at all a bad book of its sort. Most underhanded compliment. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I mean, I think for its genre, it's pretty darn good and effective. And again, I think that mostly comes down to. Anne Harding, which makes me want to talk a little bit about the acting. So do you kind of want to just jump into the rating? There's yeah. very little trivia I found to discuss about the movie. Uh, just that a big chunk is lost and that's about <laughs> it. So. All right. Yeah, let's let's get into the rating. Our first category, of course, as you mentioned, is acting. I was not impressed by the majority of it. Um I felt like uh, Nagel didn't make much of an impression. And Clive Brooke, who plays Levison, was known even back then for being pretty wooden. Uh, One critic or another uh, in another of his movies uh, pretended to mistake him for the butler as like a little dig at just how kind of stiff he was. And I agree. It's like he does. You don't really warm up to him because he just doesn't offer a heck of a lot. Um. However, I do think that a couple performances really shine through. One, as I've said, is Anne Harding, and uh, she sounds pretty great. Uh, What I liked about her when I looked her up is that apparently, you know, she's very beautiful on screen, wears, you know, cute little gowns, has this shoulder length, beautiful, wavy, golden locks. But apparently off screen, she just put zero effort into her appearance and like no makeup, didn't fuss with her hair or clothes and like. Some people like called her like the worst dressed woman in Hollywood. And I don't know why that just really tickles me. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I really like that, too. It's like, yeah, screw them. You know, when she's at work, she's dressed up and she's ready to do her job. And then, you know, when she's off, she's in, in her PJs. I love it. I uh, 
She's hashtag relatable to the kids today, right? Yes. Did they have sweatpants back then? Oh my gosh. Maybe she invented them. <laughs> uh, I thought she was great. She really grew on me because everyone I think throughout is just a little too mannered. I don't remember the name of the guy who plays Barbara's father, but he in particular just struck me as like this Dickensian caricature of a gentleman like, hey, what her and her father a little bit yeah. too, as much as he was nicer as a character. Um, I really did like Cecilia Loftus as Cornelia. Like I said, I thought her performance was very understated. Like mm-hmm. you said, Nurse Ratchety. So for them, I'll I'll give it, I'll give it a six. I think I'd give it a four otherwise, but they oh, wow. they bump it up to a six. Yeah, I'm going to give it a six as well. That's exactly what I was thinking about um, for all the same reasons. And also, how do you feel about Joyce? Oh, Joyce was very good. Um, I don't. She was charming. She wasn't like a tour de force of acting. No, but... no, she was. You know, your typical kind of you know motherly Cockney maid sort. I mean, <laughs> I guess not Cockney because she's from the country, but you know, she was okay. I can I unfortunately didn't write down her name, but I feel like she probably was in a lot of movies in the same kind Favorite of role. role. Yeah. yeah, but she was good. She was serviceable. Okay, so how do we feel about the writing? Well. It does tell an interesting story, I think, in a a lot more of a streamlined way than it sounds like the book does, although I have not read the book, so I can't really judge just from the summary. Um, I was going to listen to an audiobook of it, and it would have taken most of the day, so I didn't. That's okay. I wasn't even going to put in that much effort. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, I mean... I don't know. I haven't really thought of the writing too much, which probably doesn't speak too strongly for it. Um, I think, you know, they drop the thread of like his little edible complex, Roberts with his wife. Uh, oh, that's a point. You don't yeah. really get to see why he, like, why he was drawn to her and why he is able to then kind of transfer his affections to Barbara. Again, it's kind of hard to say how it all comes together and we don't know how it ends. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I like the changes they made. Yeah, I like the changes. I might I'll give it another six, actually. Just a little above average. Another six. I am going to I think I'm gonna match your six. I was thinking about going lower, but I don't want to hold against it that it doesn't have an ending ex- extent to Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's not its fault that we don't know how it ends. <laughs> Okay, so next category is cinematography. How do you how well was this thing shot? You know, I mean, like you pointed out when we were watching, it's kind of hard to tell when it's like this faded VHS copy. Mm-hmm. Um, but for what I could tell, I was actually pretty impressed. Like I think they did really well with angles and uh establishing shots. Um I think I'll give it a seven. Seven, okay. I will give it a six. I think just for it was serviceable. It worked. Um, I did like the establishing shots, um, but it just wasn't anything. Yeah. Too too showy. Yeah. I mean, I guess the war scenes were somewhat impressive, but I felt like they they felt a little stagey. Like I didn't really think Paris was exploding. No, it was no all quiet on the street. No, no. I mean, that's a. Tough bar to uh, to cross, and I don't think they uh, jumped over it. So, yeah, yeah I agree. But they did okay. They did okay. It was, it was serviceable. I mean, that's what I'm saying a lot for this movie. It was serviceable. All right. Overall, um, 
how well does the acting, writing, and cinematography come together to make an overall product? Well, once again, I think it really falls on the shoulders of Anne Harding's performance. Without it, I just don't think it would be as impactful. Mm-hmm. So thanks to her, I think my favorite number this time around is six. Six. Yeah, just a skosh above average. I'm going to go along with their six because that's every single time I've talked about it. It doesn't like this. It's not greater than the sum of its parts. It is exactly the sum of its parts. Perfectly put. <laughs> if that makes sense. I. It does. It does if you've seen it, people. Okay. Um, now we're on to the bonus rounds. Bonus rounds. Let's see. Um, costumes and set. I'm going to give it a five. I love the costumes. I, her dresses were so goofy and beautiful and her curls were ridiculous and beautiful. And, and I mean, yeah, the sets were a little stagey, but they were still pretty sumptuous. So, yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll. I think I'll match your five, actually. We're very matchy this time around. Yeah, yeah. If if the movie did anything, it did costumes, so. Yes, that is true. It did costumes, and yeah, there's one hat she wore, and I just was like, I would oh, wear the one, hat. Oh, the one with a little flower on it? Yeah. It was, it was a solid hat. It was a solid hat. We need to bring it back. <laughs> All right. Uh, boldness. How bold was this movie? Well, you know, I'll give it some credit for uh because the book sounds like it was more of like a morality tale of like this is what you shouldn't do this is more like she had no choice she had to do this because people were being bs to her so i'd say that's pretty bold i'll give it a i'll give it a four give it a four um hmm i'll give it a three for the same reasons um Pretty much, I think what they had going was that they had this other version of it already established. And the fact that they changed it. Yes. Was was a statement. I think it was just it was an impositive, more modern direction to to really Mm -hmm. give Isabel the majority of the sympathy. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Now for legacy, how much do you think this movie influenced? later movies what what has it done for the genre well i don't know i mean once again i think they were the movie was riding on the coattails of the stories legacy which hasn't really like we said we're not not talking about it so yeah ah gosh maybe i'll just give it a one on good faith i don't know (laughs) i can see i can see Later versions of Eastland looking at this one. Probably. Probably. I mean, um, I think this was the only version nominated for Best Picture, so that says something. The only Oscar nomination it got, I noticed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um I'm gonna give it one as well, just simply based off of that, that it, yeah. you know, there were other versions of Eastland that came along and that might be partly due to the uh, novel, but I would kind of hope that the movie <laughs> influenced it more. Right. But I can't give it too many extra points just because i mean it's not even extent anymore people didn't think enough of it to even save the whole movie i know so which is sad but kind of speaks to the fact of the lack of impact it probably made overall yeah yeah 
Okay, so longevity. How well does this movie stand up over time? It gets better as it goes because I have a feeling if I were just, you know, flipping through channels and I caught the very beginnings, I'd probably flip to another channel pretty quickly because it does start off so antiquated and stiff. Yes, and wooden and and everything. So, and I still think you really have to stick through it stick with it to really get into it. So I think just once again, on the strength of Anne Hardy's performance, I'll give it a one. Hmm. Okay. I'm going to give it a two. I'm going to be nice to it. Okay. Um, Because I think that's more like I'm impressed by what it wasn't starting off with that movie with the, like you said at the start, it's very, um, it's very Bart's play that he's writing when he's, uh, (laughs) St. Blevins Day? <laughs> yes, St. Blevins Day. Yes, yes. Like, oh, hello, Mr. Carlisle. St. Blevins Day again? Cheers, says Aunt Hilda. Yeah. <laughs> but after that, it does become a little bit more relatable. And yeah, it's still a melodrama and you pick up on that. But the the human emotions, we're still talking about it and relating it to The Crown, which is a very new... Uh, New, very new show, show. even if it is an older story. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, there we go. That's longevity. Um, Technical. Um, hmm. Hmm. It's hard to tell with, like, the sound and things like that because we had a VHS quality print. Yeah, from YouTube. Fr- from YouTube. <laughs> so it's a little hard to tell. Um, I, uh, like I said, I think they did... The explosions in Paris, pretty okay. Um, yeah. You could, you could understand what people were saying. I'll, I'll give it a two. Yeah, a two. I think that two bonus points is fair. Yeah. And also that makes it a, a nice even 75 points. Oh, at the very end there. There we go. So That's not a... 75, where does that put it? That puts it um, below front page, which is right next to it. Um, that's fair it puts it above the patriot (laughs) (laughs) Uh, let's see 75 what's closest there love parade oh I liked it better than love parade I'd say yeah it doesn't have that awful ending yeah it doesn't reward well it kind of rewards Robert but it's commenting on how it's not okay that he should be so rewarded whereas Maurice Chevalier is totally in the right and uh, stupid woman (laughs) <laughs> why, why are you trying to be queen? Right. Uh, so maybe we graded it a little bit weirdly, but you know, but there we go. Uh, Love again, Parade. Love Parade, according to our own ratings, beat it by two points. Well, you know, that's okay. I mean, at least it had an ending, which isn't, you know, Eastland's fault. It didn't know that like its last 12 minutes would be lost to history. But there you are. It's hard to yeah. tell how it all comes together. Imagine how highly we would have rated Love Parade if the last 12 minutes of that was Oh missing. my gosh. Yeah. Maybe, I don't know, maybe the last 12 minutes of East Lynn would have made us super angry. Maybe she would have like gotten on her hands and knees and told Robert how wrong she was and how he was right about everything. And he would have forgiven her and it would have left a bad taste in our mouths. But we just don't know, sadly. Yep. It's very sad. So, and the last question that we have to ask, of course, is will we nominate this movie for the prestigious Notsker Award, a movie award podcast, movie award for movies? 
am. You are. I think so. I think, you know, Anne Harding was so good. I think uh, it it added a surprising twist to this tale of giving her the majority of the sympathy. And uh, it was well made, I think. Um, hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it didn't blow me away. It wasn't life changing, but I think it's not score worthy. What say you? I was going back and forth about it, and maybe if we had the ending, um, I wouldn't have felt that it should have. But given that I'm really, really angry that we don't get the ending, I know that's kind of proves like (laughs) movies like, um, well, even like Love Parade, for example, which we didn't give it to, uh, even if we hadn't had that last 12 minutes, which made us really angry. I still feel like I would have felt pretty apathetic. Yeah. Yeah. About the ending. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that this movie was effective enough. And we keep saying that effective. It was effective. It was. And I think it's because we didn't expect it to at the beginning. And uh, I think it's it's an example of movies going in the right direction. Yeah. Uh, I think they were starting to realize filmmakers were, and I don't know if it's because of the advent of sound or just that society was changing in general, that melodrama just for the sake of melodrama wasn't enough anymore. There had to be something actually human and real. Right. There was a little bit of realism. Yes. And, uh, you know, her relationship with her child seems very real. Yeah, Um, definitely. You know, her suffering isn't just hand wringing. And big eyes, it was like, it, it was, it was real. And uh, so I think that, yeah, that's kind of what earns the the Notsker nom for me. Yeah, I think a lot of it hinges on that one scene where she's playing with her kid. Yes. That's what humanizes her and what pulls her out of this very wooden melodrama mm-hmm. up to that point mm-hmm. um, into a situation where you do feel really invested in her. And it's just like that one scene I think was kind of a pivot point for me. And I think that's really speaks to good filmmaking. That one scene can make so much of a difference. And it's just a scene of her playing with her kid. So yeah, good. It's a good solid flick. If you, I would recommend watching it on YouTube. Just be aware the moment she leans over that prim and looks at her cherubic child, it's done. It fades, it fades (laughs) to black and it's frustrating. It's very frustrating, but still pretty good. Still pretty good. Mm-hmm. And UCLA, if you're listening, um, get on it. Yeah, if come you on. Ha- if you have those last 12 minutes, you owe it to us. You do, because we're upset. If you want <laughs> us to be upset, I don't think so. Okay, everyone, I think that's it for the episode. You can find us on Twitter at ComebackAStar. You can email us, if you'd like, at ComebackAStarPodcast at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share the podcast with all of your friends. We are, um, we've kind of hit a little bit of a plateau in terms of listenership. So <laughs> we'd really appreciate if people uh, went out there and, and shared the uh, shared love and, and love of great old movies. Especially because you never know who might have seen these last 12 minutes or have read the script because we'd love to hear. Honestly, yeah, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, it's more urgent now, so it spread, is. spread the word. Spread the word. Stop the presses. We need to know what happens. We, need we to might know. never Does know, she go but blind? still. Yes, exactly. <gasps> okay, everyone. Well, I guess that's it. Um, we're going to pull down the curtains. 
and shut off the projector and enjoy a nice stay at home Thanksgiving. Have a good one, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.